given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, seeking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Hear the word of the Lord. Mercy. The riches of your mercy. Lord, we know we gather here this morning as people who are simply, who fall so far short of who we ought to be in Christ. But we thank you for your mercy that today we can sit here covered by the blood of Christ. And we thank you for your mercy that is at work within us, whereby, Lord, you're at work to transform us into the image and likeness of Jesus. And so, Father, please may your word work amongst us this morning. May you sovereignly be changing us and renewing our minds, that we would be men and women who live for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Ephesians 4, with your Bibles, we'll be primarily looking at verses 7 to 16. Ephesians 4, verses 7 to 16. So we're into the second half now of Ephesians, and if you remember verse 1, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. As recipients of God's glorious grace, we have received a calling. A way of living that God has called us to. And last week we saw a bit that in some way focused on ourselves and how we need to be. We need to be people who are humble and gentle and patient and full of love that we might bear with one another and remain united. Here this week we're going to think a little bit more about how we're going to serve each other. A number of years ago when I was going through Bible college and ended up moving towards becoming a pastor in the church, so I had to go through a process of what the Baptist Association calls accreditation. And as part of that process, I had to be interviewed and be checked by what is called the Committee for the Call to Ministry or something like that. Have you ever been called to ministry? You hear people talking and thinking that through. And typically when we hear a call to ministry, what are you thinking of? 
whatever it is, to become a minister in a church. And the church will think, I wonder who's got a call to ministry. And they might look at the young people in the church and think, oh, who are the young guys that we might encourage to really think about a call to ministry? For them, meaning to go on to become ministers in a church. But here this morning, God's word is going to tell us, and it might scare you a little bit if you haven't realized it, but we have all received a call to ministry. This morning, if you're in Christ, you have been called to be a minister. And so three things as we look at our passage this morning, gifting for ministry, equipping for ministry, and maturing through ministry. Gifting for ministry, equipping for ministry, and maturing through ministry. Things that we all need to hear, not just someone who's going to be a pastor. Again, because we have all been called. So have a look in your Bibles, down to verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace was given to each one of us. So immediately we're going to learn as we work through this passage that it's part of God's glorious grace. We can limit God's grace so much if we're not careful. God's grace abounds. God has saved us by grace. God is sustaining us by grace. Into all eternity, He's going to pour out grace upon us. But here we see God has also given us things by His grace, gifts. Gifts of grace. Those abilities and skills which God has equipped you with so as to serve in the church. To serve your church family. And those gifts you have are an act of grace. Nothing for us to get proud of. Nothing for us to think we're better than anyone else or give ourselves a pat on the back or think to the church how lucky you are to have me. No, they're a gift of grace. We don't deserve them. But God has given them. And it's Jesus who gives us these gifts. And Jesus, we see, he hasn't just given this grace of gifts to some in the church. It says, but grace has been given to each one of us. So we have all received these graces. We've all received a gift or gifts from Jesus. And we don't get to choose the gifts. The gift you have, the gift you've received, is Jesus giving that gift to you. He has made that decision in his wisdom, in his will, in his sovereign plan. He has given you the gifts you have. Jesus decides the gifts we have, which means up front we need to be content with the gifts that God has given to us. Content with how God wants us to serve in the church. Because maybe we can be tempted to say, Jesus, I wish you had gifted me in a different way. And if we do do that, we must be careful that we don't try and serve in a way that Jesus hasn't gifted us to serve. If he wanted us to serve in that way, Jesus would have gifted us in that way. And so we need to ask Jesus to help us to be content with the gifts that he's given to us, actually to see the goodness of those gifts and to be willing to use them for his glory with joy. 
Because Jesus hasn't gifted you so as to be dour or sad or frustrated. He's gifted you so as to live and to flourish. And so as we consider the church and our role in the church, we look to Jesus. And if Jesus has given you a gift, which he has, what do you think he wants you to do with it? Use it. Jesus wants you to use your gifts to bless the church. Not to bury them. Not to hide them. Not to be selfish with them. Not to use them everywhere else but here, but to use them for the good of the church. Part of that is what verse 1 is referring to about walking in the manner worthy of our calling. God has gifted you. And as you use those gifts, that is part of what that works out in your life, living in the manner worthy of your calling, as you use the gifts Jesus has given you. And if you turn back to chapter 2, verse 10, as you do that, you'll actually be doing the works that God has prepared beforehand for you to do. And wonderfully, Jesus has blessed his church with a variety of gifts, all of which are necessary. He knows exactly the different churches gathered around the world. He knows exactly their sizes and makeup. He knows exactly what each one needs. We never have to feel we're lacking. Jesus will always equip his church for the situation his church is in. And we are the body of Christ. And if you think about a body, as we already have, a body, if I just stood up here as one big hand, it'd probably look a bit funny, or one big foot. But what makes up a body? Variety. Hands, eyes, feet, toes. And if we're all just a hand, if you looked at me as a hand and I looked at you and I saw a whole bunch of hands, we'd be lacking. We wouldn't have the fullness to be a healthy church, we need all the gifts that Jesus provides for us, just as a healthy body needs all its bits and pieces to work together so as to function well and healthily. And so the body of Christ is beautiful because with the diversity of gifts, Jesus is bringing us into a wonderful unity. Diversity and unity. Unity in Christ and a diversity of gifts from Christ that we might flourish as his body. Now here in Ephesians, as we think about gifts, Paul doesn't list all the gifts for us. We can look to other parts of the Bible to get examples of some of the gifts. But as Warren's already read for us, some of these gifts do include teaching, administration, hospitality. People in the Bible have the gift of prayer and of helps. On we could go. Skills and abilities that God has given to you, those things that you naturally do well, and that God is helping you to give you a passion for as they are used for his glory. And so the challenge for us this morning, church, is to use the gifts that God has placed amongst us if we were to work and talk to one another and find out, and often people know what you're good at and are encouraged by you, it's beautiful and abundant. All the things that God has placed amongst us. 
that's one of the things why we encourage people to consider membership because it shows that you're not, not adding to the Bible. It's just saying, yes, I know I'm a member of a body and I have a responsibility to the body to serve and to use my gifts. And then a mutual commitment. And as we read on, we see the reason why Jesus has been given the role or earned the role of giving gifts to the church. And it's because of the victory he accomplished. What Jesus did through his death and resurrection, verses 8 to 10. In saying he ascended, therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Paul is referring to a prophecy through David and making it clear that Jesus is the one who's fulfilled it. That prophecy, that Psalm, Psalm 68, was pointing to Jesus. If you remember what John the Apostle said, or reminds us of what Jesus said, no man has ascended into heaven except he who has descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Jesus is the one who has ascended because he is the one who has come from heaven to earth. Being born as a man, humbled himself, lived a sinless life, offered himself as a perfect sacrifice to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for our sins. On the cross, he was bearing the wrath of God in your place. But then we know it does not stop there because on the third day he rose again and Christ rose victoriously proving that he had defeated sin and death, that if you put your trust in Jesus, your sins can be fully forgiven. The wrath of God can be completely removed. The resurrection shows he is the victor, that he's defeated the devil, the prince of the power of the air. He's defeated and put to shame the evil rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. He's confounded them and defeated them and frustrated them as he rescues his people from the dominion of the devil. Delivering you and I from darkness into his wonderful light. And he ascended on high, far above all the heavens, we read, to the highest place. Everything is below where Jesus is seated. There is nothing in all existence that's outside of that or above it. Christ is over all. He who descended has ascended over all. There is nowhere that his reign does not reach. And his authority is not to be obeyed. Jesus rules everywhere. But we see from this psalm and from this quote that when he ascended victoriously to the throne, Jesus did something very wonderful. He gave gifts to men. Those whom he had redeemed. He shared the spoils of his victory. Now, it's important that we just pause and consider verse 8 for a little while. Because let's turn back to Psalm 68, verse 18. In Ephesians 4, 8, it said, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. Turn with me to Psalm 68.
and it's verse 18. David prophesied, saying, speaking of Jesus, you ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord God may dwell there. So the first thing we see here from what Paul has done in Ephesians is that he has made it clear, Psalm 68 is speaking about Jesus. He's making it clear the psalm is being fulfilled by what Jesus is doing. But did he quote it wrong? Is there a mistake in the Bible? Now, there's been different explanations for this, but I think it can be answered fairly clearly and simply because it's not something unusual for the writers of the New Testament to combine prophecies, to put them together. Turn with me to Isaiah 53, verse 12. It's the same theme, it's the same idea of a victor. Isaiah 53, verse 12. This is speaking of Jesus. Therefore, I'll divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoils with the strong, his people, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he bore the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. And so here we're seeing two prophecies about Jesus, both about his victory. One is about him receiving the spoils or collecting all the spoils. The other prophecy is about him distributing the spoils to his people. I mentioned elsewhere in the Bible, if you were to read the start of the Gospel of Mark, it says, Isaiah the, as Isaiah the prophet says, and then he quotes Malachi. And he puts Malachi with Isaiah. Isaiah had the original prophecy, but Malachi gave it a prophecy that was building on the same prophecy, gave a bit more, and he puts it together. It's still Isaiah's prophecy filled out. And I'd say a similar thing has just been done here. David has the original prophecy that Christ is the one who will victor and he will gather the spoils. And then Isaiah actually tells us something wonderful that will happen. He will distribute those spoils. It's not a different prophecy. It's more of the same. And so that glorious truth, when Jesus conquered sin and death and rose victoriously to heaven as the victor with all his spoils, he didn't just keep it all to himself. He in his love and what he had gathered, he shared with his body, the church. The reason you and I have a gift to serve in the life of God's church is because our King and Victor, Jesus Christ, has brought us to share in his victory, to partake in his victory, to use the blessings that are his to live for the glory of God. And how should we respond to that, that he who defeated and sharing his gifts. In the words of David from Psalm 110, verse 3, may we, his people, who have been washed and made new, who have been dressed in holy garments, now offer, offer ourselves freely to his service. Christ is the king. He's made us his people. He's poured out gifts upon us. May we willingly 
dressed in righteousness, offer ourselves freely to use those gifts to serve him and to live for him. So we all have a gift or gifts. So how does Jesus want us to use them? How is he going to equip us to know the way to exercise the gifts we have? Verses 11 and 12. So this is equipping for ministry. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers. Why? It says at the start of verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. To equip the saints to know how to minister. To use the gifts we have been given. But we also see from that that the apostles, prophets, evangelists, and shepherd teachers are themselves gifts to the church. Because those who the Lord Jesus is providing to equip the church, he is gifted to the church. In verse 11, he gave. So where we find apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd teachers, we say, thank you, Jesus. That's his doing. Did you notice something too about all those roles? There's something common to all of them. They're all roles that pertain to the ministry of the word, the preaching of God's word, the Bible. So Jesus has gifted to his church those whom he gifts for the ministry of the word so as to teach us from the word how to use our gifts. As we sit under the word, those apostles were Peter, John, Paul. They were the abiding preachers of the word. They just spoke God's word infallibly all the time. That was the gift, the blessing they had. Whenever they preached, it was true. We have the record of the apostles' teaching in the Bible. Able to teach anytime, anywhere. All the teaching in the church was to be conformed to the teaching of the apostles. The prophets were more occasional preachers of the word when the Spirit of God would come upon them. And they were able to teach. But the Bible tells us quite plainly, whenever a prophet spoke, their teaching had to be checked against the Bible, against the, the apostles. The evangelists... They could be evangelists as we typically think, but given the context too where it's saying that the evangelists have been given for the equipping of the saints, some have suggested that it's referring to the heralds, heralds of the gospel who are like itinerant. They moved around heralding the gospel. And then the last office or role, I believe and is commonly understood to be one role, shepherd slash teacher, shepherd teacher. In the original, the word the, the definite article, appears. It says the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherd teachers. It doesn't have another the. And it fits with what the Bible teaches about the role of the shepherd or pastor. They have a role of oversight, overseeing, but also of teaching. 
And so Jesus gifts some men for the local church to be shepherds or pastors, to keep an eye on everything, to make sure the sheep are safe and to minister the word so as to equip the saints to use their gifts for us all to be mobilized into ministry. And so the ministry of the word, teaching and preaching, Jesus himself says is essential. Modern day church growth theories are doing a lot to try and get rid of preaching or teaching, trying to diminish all that and just trying to get us to do things that make us feel good together. And if we all feel good together, more people will come. But Jesus, he says, the way he's going to equip his church with their gifts is through pastor teachers. Here's a quote from someone a long time ago. It is through the ministry of the word that the divine influence flows from Christ the head to all the members of his body. So that where that ministry fails, the divine influence fails. It is through the ministry of the word that the divine influence flows from Christ the head to the members of his body. So that where that ministry fails, the divine influence fails. If you find a church that is weak in the ministry of the word, you won't find a body functioning in the way that Christ intends. It will be a weak church in God's eyes. It might not be in the world's eyes, but it will be in God's eyes. So we need to be careful that we don't belittle the ministry of the word, but actually work hard to try and engage with it. 1 Timothy 3.16 you turn a bit to the right, 1 Timothy 3.16, might already know it off by heart. Sorry, 2 Timothy 3.16. 2 Timothy 3.16. Paul is writing to Timothy as the pastor of the church. He's left in Ephesus. What's going to equip Timothy for his role? Is he going to have to have a shipping container full of books? Well, this is what Paul says to him, verse 16 of 2 Timothy 3, all scripture is God breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God in his role as a pastor may be competent, equipped for every good work. So for a pastor teacher to equip the saints, he needs the Bible. And he essentially doesn't need anything more than the Bible. If Kurong was to suddenly disappear, it wouldn't compromise his position. If in the end he actually only had the Bible, it wouldn't necessarily compromise his position. The Bible is sufficient. And so churches that are to be equipped for ministry, when I say churches, that means the people of the church equipped for ministry. They need a pastor, a teacher that will teach from the Bible, rely on the Bible, always go to the Bible, get everything from the Bible, keep it from the Bible. Because then we are being taught by Jesus. Once we start moving away from the Bible, we are moving away from Christ the shepherd. And it's as we learn what the Bible says, we actually learn how Jesus wants us to use our gifts. Because we actually don't get to use the gifts he's given us just the way we want to. There are some in the church today, they think if they've got a particular gift, they can just use it however they want. If I'm gifted like this, I can just do it. You've got to allow me to use this gift. It's my right. It's what God intends. 
And if anyone actually opens the Bible and says, oh, maybe you need to use the gift like that, not like that, they will then take the Bible and set that against God and their gift and say, you're oppressing me. No, Christ gives us the gift and he actually tells us, this is his instruction manual, how to administer the gift. And so just because you can see ways of using it, you need to come back and say, how does Jesus want me to use it? Does he put restrictions on how I can minister? Does he actually say I need to minister to certain people? We've got to be led by the Bible. So just as we don't determine the gift we get, we don't determine how necessarily how we use it. Jesus does. All of it. And the wonderful promise is, as you use your gift according to the word of God, you will be made more like Jesus. That is how God wants to make you more like Jesus, through using your gifts. As you listen to the Bible, you're going to understand more about God. You're going to become more like Jesus so that you'll use the gift like Jesus. You'll listen to how he wants you to walk each day. So it's not just a matter of having a gift. It's a matter of being like Jesus and serving like Jesus. So we need the word. Because verse 12 says it's to equip the saints for the work of ministry. That word equipment means to be perfected, made ready for service. We need to sit under the word, be shaped by the word before we go out and just use our gift. It is the word that makes us fit for purpose. The same tool in the hand of two different people can be used very differently. And we need to make sure that the tools, the gifts God's given us are used to his ways for your perfecting. So the more you use your gift in the way God has shaped you, the more you become like Jesus. And so we've all been called to ministry. All of us. We all sit here this morning as ministers. So it's not just a pastor who's called to ministry. The difference is someone who is a pastor has been called to the ministry of being a pastor. Maybe you've been called to the ministry of prayer, ministry of encouragement, ministry of helping people, ministry of administration, ministry the ministry of maintenance or music, on we could go. They're all ministries. And all these diversity of ministries come together to make a beautiful unity of the body. When I was pastoring down in Sydney, I used to remind the people, don't, in that context, don't call me the minister. You can call me the pastor, but we've got to call everyone ministers. So it's not how many people we have the size of our buildings, the number of our programs, how many people are on a ministry team that determines how healthy we are as a church. Hear this, please. Because that's often how churches can be trying to make themselves feel they've made it or are progressing. The 
bigger things we can have, the more things we can have functioning means somehow it looks like God's doing things here. And even have places where people in the church have that laity clergy divide. The clergy are those who do the ministering, the laity are those who don't. And if we want more things done in the church, we all just stop having a coffee for the week, put more money in and we put, put on another minister. It's constantly this outsourcing of ministry. No, a healthy church is one where we are all active, not just a few passive, in serving each other, loving each other, ministering to each other. The whole body functioning, not just one arm. Everything has to be working in unison. Jesus has made you belong to this church. Jesus made me belong to this church, not to be served, but to serve with the gifts he's given you. And that leads to thirdly, maturing, maturing through ministry. Because verse 12 says, this is done for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. The only one giving himself to people in the local church is the pastor or the minister. We're not mature. The only real fellowship you have with someone else in the church is just over a coffee squeezed in after a service. We're not maturing. We will remain stunted in our growth. But also too, we're told here, you'll be stunted in your own growth. As a Christian, God has given us gifts and His Word, and, and has given us gifts, His Word, and the church that would help us grow together. As we grow together, you are growing. As you serve, you are growing. And as you do that, you help others grow, and we grow as one man from being a child to manhood. That's how God's ordained it. Don't try and grow as a Christian in a different way. As you as Christ to others in your church family, that is how God will grow you. And it's also there we are told how we are going to be stable in the faith. So that children are easily influenced. You can tell children anything sometimes. In a church where we are not ministering to each other, so it's not just about the person preaching on the front, where we are not ministering to each other, is actually weaker and more susceptible to falsehood, to cunning, and to craftiness. We don't often think about that. As you love the person next to you or behind you, you're actually helping the body be strong and become more stable. The Bible gives us the doctrine to know how to minister, and we've got to watch our doctrine and our life to make sure we're ministering. Verse 13 is telling us as we minister together, we grow in unity. 
We grow in our knowledge of Jesus. We grow from being a child to a man. And we attain more and more to the likeness of Christ. So the more truly we as a church reflect the image of Christ and the more we become the body of Christ, imitating him. Verse 15 there tells us this maturing comes not just through silence, but through words. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. When each part is working properly, think of an engine. You know when it's not working properly and you find it's just that one little rattle in there somewhere. You need to be a finely oiled machine. The body of Christ where we are all working, playing our role being the hand, being the thumb, being the toe, being the ear, being the eye, it comes together. But the gifts that God has given to us is not a ministry of silence. We're called to use our gifts to serve one another and then to speak truth in love. As if our gifts are opening a door or an opportunity to share and to love others. We need to speak to one another about the word of God. I need to hear you speaking to me about the word of God to build me up and strengthen. I need to do it to you. So we're serving and speaking and that is part of your ministry. I can think of different ways and think of Ken. You might not know, but has a ministry of encouragement to me. Sends me his little texts that glorify God and speak of him. And that changes me in that moment. And that spurs me on. I can think of Jeff as he uses his skill to minister to me and help me with things that I'd be stuck with or still doing in 20 years time. And he helps me in love. But to be able to stand up on the ladders together and pray together adds another whole dimension using our gifts and speaking the truth in love. I'll throw Dorothy in. Her ministry and gifts of caring for people and just being kind. And her Christ-like words have been a great encouragement to me like a mother in the faith. Don't be silent to one another. Speak to each other. Use your gifts, hospitality, cooking, feeding, maintaining things, whatever it is, and talk of God with the person and speak to them of God's glory. So our calling is not to complain about how others aren't loving us. We're called to love others. And if we all just get on with that, we'll work beautifully. We'll be a strong church or we'll be like Jesus. It says in that verse 16 that we're all like joints. And it's as we minister that the joint is strong. We're called through our ministry and to one another to keep us together 
And if we're not ministering, we become a weak joint. And so we want to encourage each other and love each other to serve. And so there's a calling we all have, and that is to be ministers. We mustn't forgo that calling. Because it will grow us as a church and it will grow you in Christ. So what are your gifts? There's no finite list, I don't think, in the Bible. Just look to the people in the Bible and you see people doing all sorts of things. You've got those who are helping serve the widows in Acts. You've got those with administration. You've got those with helps and encouragement and prayer and on we can go. What has God given you? How are you using it for the church? And I say for the church because we all have a ministry. When I was a high school teacher, that was a ministry that God had called me to. But it wasn't my primary or sole ministry. I'm going to become a father soon. There you go, I'll say that. I can say I'm outside of the home doing lots of things. But if I forsake the family, something's wrong in my priorities. And the Bible calls us again and again, don't forsake the family. Yes, we do ministry outside the household of God, but that's an extension of the house. We as a household going forth into the world. But we are called to serve the family first. To love those whom God has united with you as a brother, as a sister, as a father, as a mother. And so maybe you're ministering well outside the family and need to come to God and say sorry and ask him how to help you minister to the family. Because it's as we minister to each other. That's the whole body image. God has gifted us here for the building up of the church, for his bride, to make us strong. And so let's keep reading the Bible together. Let's keep praying together. Let's keep texting each other the word of God. Let's keep sharing with one another what we're learning from God. And using the gifts, the talents we have been given by God to bless one another. And the Bible says we will be stronger, we'll be more stable, we'll be less shakable, and we'll be being perfected. And so we're all called to ministry, not just the pastor. And so spend some time today with the Lord asking how you're going to minister. Ask him for his help. And just do little steps. But the one thing we can't do is nothing because we have to live lives in a manner worthy of our calling. And so let's encourage each other in that. Let's not lose heart. Because we are like stones, living stones. So it's about people. I'll pray. Father God, please grow us as a church, Lord, in our love for each other. Lord, with how you've gifted us and blessed us, help us to use that to bless your people. Father, thank you that you are just so patient with us. Lord, we know we fall so far short. We know we can be so idle. But thank you for your everlasting patience. 
And so, Father, as a church, we ask that you would grow us, really grow us in a gospel way, that we would serve each other and speak to one another of you, that we would grow up, that we would be mature and we'd be strong and a people who bring glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.